Hi, to all you boys and girls out there in podcast land. It's been a while since we've had an installment of our Breaking the Glass miniseries about gender, race, and making it in the biz. Today's episode really gets to the heart of this topic and is one that should generate great debate. But before we get started, I just wanted to give huge thanks to the companies that help make both the podcast miniseries and the Breaking the Glass film series possible. Videobox and Song Freedom. VideoBlox is a premium stock footage subscription service for accessing high-quality HD and 4K stock footage from their library of over 115,000 clips. Go to videobox.com RFS to sign up for a free 7-day trial or sign up for a year plan for only $99. And if you need any kind of music from sweeping cinematic scores to popular mainstream music to be legally licensed, look no further than Song Freedom. Go to songfreedom.com slash radio to unlock a free standard go-level license worth $30. All right, without further ado, on with the show. Sunday, Monday, happy days. Ah, the happy days. You remember the happy days, don't you? The days when we were, like, happy? No, of course not. I'm talking about the 1970s, early 80s TV show. Well, if you're my age, you most certainly do. One of the central characters of that show was Chachi, played by the then-young Scott Baio. Hey, Blue Eyes. I'm delivering a kissogram for Joni Cunningham. <laughs> Stamp it, return to sender. Ah, Snow White, you're a vision of loveliness. Well, well, the eighth dwarf, pushy. This is your last chance. You're gonna go out with me? Maybe. Al, guess what? I got a maybe! And who could forget that short-lived Happy Day spinoff he did with his on-screen romance, Joni, played by Aaron Moran. The one, and only, Joni Loves Chachi. Something magic in the way you hold me in your eyes. Since his days wearing cut off sleeveless tees in the 70s, it seems Scott has become somewhat of a conservative news correspondent. Here he is on the Fox News show The Five addressing the EEOC's investigation of Hollywood's hiring practices. Is there rampant sexism in progressive this is what Hollywood? The government is wasting their time with on this kind of BS. It's and so our money. ridiculous. And our money. It's absurd. Listen, I work there, and in every job I've ever done, the last show I did on Nickelodeon, you hire the person that's most qualified and best for the job. I don't care if woman, man, I don't, kid, old person, it doesn't matter. It's, it's just, it's, it's looking for something that isn't there, in my yeah. opinion. I'm Ron Dawson, and this is Radio Film School's miniseries, Breaking the Glass. Stories about gender, race, and making it in the biz.
I shared the clip with friend of the show and Breaking the Glass co-producer Yolanda Conkert. Yolanda has been a producer in the film industry for over a decade, and most recently was a consultant at Netflix. So her insight into this topic is pretty informed. Also, she's like, you know, a woman. So I was really dying to hear what she thought about Scott Bale's take. So did you watch that clip with uh, Chachi? Oh my God, I did. Chachi, Chachi, Chachi. <laughs> Chachi. Yes. I had no idea. Well, you know, JD, I'm recording. <laughs> you know, he spoke at the Republican convention. Not that that's. Not that he can't have a progressive thought about gender issues, but right. Anyway, uh, yeah. Um, disappointing, right. to say the least. I, I mean, but, but I so just wanted the... to bang my head against the wall too because he's sitting there with four women, and he's in the middle like he's the host or something. He's in the well. That really didn't bother me. That happens oh. a lot of times on shows. Like they'll feature the guest, obviously, on the show oh, with right, a prominent right. position. But I mean, literally every woman on the panel. I mean, it was on Fox News, which tends more towards you know conservatism and maybe libertarianism. I guess mm-hmm. non meddling thought, but it's so frustrating to have women uh, again. I mean, I don't want to discount someone's opinion or, you know, thoughts or political stance or whatever, but it's, it's, it's crazy to me that none of these women could at least perceive that there is an issue. What, What they think is the solution to that issue. Certainly we can debate about, but the fact that for, a total of four women sitting there with this guy literally identifies no issue in existence or it just it's just a matter of just go write a script and, and you know, do it that way. Or, you know, all you have to do is be qualified and then it's just going to happen. Right. <laughs> I'm just like, seriously, like. And here's the other thing, because J.D. and I were talking and he's like, what are they talking about? You know, the top grossing films. And like, I really hate when it's when the conversation is put in the context about, you know, what films are grossing what or that, because, yes, there's there's a point to be made about that. But the broader point is that. Less than 10 percent of all television and all films are directed by women whether they've made two cents or $200 million. Right. <laughs> so obviously there's a problem here. And it's why is that the case? Like qu- quite clearly something is amiss and awry. And so if you have a greater than 50% of the population, you know, of all walks of life, not represented in the people who are doing a particular job where that job does not require something specific to a gender in order for them to be able to do it. Clearly there is a problem there. All right. So here's a couple of things. Uh, 
like one from a devil's advocate perspective the point that's made and that's often brought up is why not why not hire just who's qualified if it's a man or as woman which is i think something that i love that idea i love that idea okay <laughs> love it i feel there's there's more coming to that comment hire just hire who's qualified so yes so the natural you know deduction then from that statement is because there's only so many women being hired then that must necessarily then mean that there aren't any qualified women out there to do the job apparently apparently i mean that's just insane no, what is happening? Yes, let's just hire who's qualified. Well, the problem is, again, we've come back to this conversation before. It's all about hiring practices. Hiring practices has an impact on who's doing these jobs. You cannot tell me that in the population of everybody that less than 10% of the available pool of directors who are qualified are actually female. It's just not the case. What's happening is those people who are qualified are not having an opportunity to get into the room and have the opportunity to be evaluated of whether they're qualified and whether their voice and their vision for the piece would be what the producers or the production company or the network sees as the direction they want to take that creative project in. They're not getting the opportunity. And so that is, that's the problem. And, you know, the panel is talking about, you know, the government meddling and, and, and I don't, I don't agree with quotas. I do agree with affirmative action and that's a whole other topic. I don't agree with quotas because, you know, I, I believe people should have the opportunity to hire who they want, but there needs to be there. Need, so let me get to this thing. The Rooney rule. This is what I wanted to read. So so this is something that was brought up as well during the last year's controversy about Oscar. So white and right. so on and so forth. There is in the NFL something called the Rooney rule and. I think it, it, it comes back to, again, this issue of hiring practices. And I'm going to read you what Wikipedia says about the Rooney Rule. The Rooney Rule is a National Football League policy that requires league teams to interview minority candidates for head coaching and senior football operation jobs. It is sometimes cited as an example of affirmative action, though there is no quota or preference given to minorities in the hiring of candidates. It was established in 2003 and variations of the rule are now in place in other industries, meaning just identify candidates of diversity who are qualified and give them an opportunity to interview. It doesn't say you have to hire them. It doesn't say you have to have a, a certain number of, you know, minority or women can, you know, uh, actual employees. It says give a diverse pool 
of job applicants an opportunity to come in and present their case. And that's what's not happening in Hollywood specific to female directors. And it's obvious because we see it in the numbers. Right, right. So it's a way of getting qualified applicants from all walks of life, from all both walks sides, of life. into that yes. proverbial room. Yes, women, you know, you know, Asians, blacks, Latinos, you know, uh, every sexual preference. I mean, it just people need to have the opportunity to get in the room. I've seen, you know, the hashtag get in the room and it's and it's exactly it. It's like All right, they just so need to have the opportunity to present their case, like I said. OK, again, playing devil's advocate, because you made me think about this as you were listening to listing the type of diversity you could have. Uh, like, so how far do you take it? Like, do they have to go out of the way to find, you know, every time you're interviewing for a director, you got to find a gay director, a white director, no, a black director, no, 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 no. a woman Here's director, what I'm a transgender director. I mean, <laughs> no, <laughs> a director who likes not. to sleep with dogs. A director who <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's a slippery slope, Ron. You know, as well, soon as I mean, you say you're going to hire a, a woman, then next thing you got to hire a gay person, and then you got to hire somebody who's sleeping with dogs, and then you gotta, it's a slippery slope. Right, right. Hiring women is a gateway drug. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. That's no. a quote. But, um, but, you know, again, too, but like, no, Jane, seriously, what Jane, is the answer to that? I mean, well, wait, I'm just, I'm going to get to that. Okay. Jane and I were talking about, you know, the efforts and, and we keep talking about it. So I feel like it's a, a kind of running theme or something that we keep a broken record, I should say, about J.J. Abrams. And, and, you know, it's something as simple as what he said is, I want, you know, I want my, the, my team to be representative of the population. So what that translates into, I believe is no, that doesn't mean now I have to have, you know, now I need to hire an Asian person to direct it. Now I need, it, it just means that for some amount of time until there is parity in the world, in the business, whatever, you know, whatever industry or whatever, you know, thing, endeavor you're talking about, until there's that parity, there just needs to be that added effort to seek and search out those representative individuals of the, you know, those various segments of the population. And you can assign that to a recruiter. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're putting out an ad and say, I need black, you know, I need all black directors apply or all right. female directors apply or whatever. What it just means is those people who are charged to do a job search an applicant candidate search need to make effort to say, we have this opening, please all qualified candidates apply. And maybe that advertising or that recruitment needs to be done in circles or places where you're going to find representative samples of all segments of the population. And so then you call through the applicants and you find those individuals from an experience standpoint, from a resume standpoint, whatever the case may be, who are appropriate to come in and interview view. And then if people will actually give those people a shot, I think that things will naturally 
you know, right themselves as long as people are giving them a real legitimate shot and aren't kicking them out because, oh, they remind they don't remind me of myself when I was a kid or whatever and 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 really give them a shot based upon their qualifications and their ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, here's another thing I've wondered and I don't I don't think this really applies to the directors, but I think it's a curious question to at least ask. In all the years that I've been on sets or I've seen sets, I can maybe count on one hand the number of times I've seen a male script supervisor. Seems like every time I'm on a skit, the script supervisor is female. Now, I know there are plenty of, I'm sure there are plenty of male ones out there, and I don't know, I'd be curious to know what your experience is, but Mm -hmm. that, that just seems to be like a role in the industry that a lot of women gravitate to. Could, could the same be said for directors? Like, is that just a role where more men gravitate to? So that way you see more men? No. No? No. 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 What happens is it's the same thing that's happening. You know, you could talk about the the role of science and and that's changing over time. But what mm-hmm. ends up happening is you have an equal number of both genders being interested interested in something, but then barriers creating a huge discouragement to females continuing to pursue that, that job because they don't have a way in, they don't have an opportunity. I mean, just as many women, you know, girls want to tell stories and want to, you know, at a certain before, before that age where they see those barriers and, and, and feel like, you know what, I, I'm not going to be able to do this. So I'm not even going to try. Um, there's, you know, I know film schools and, and all the like have girls who come in who want to direct and want to tell stories and have a vision for that. And then, all these different things happen to them to, you know, just shove them aside because they, they can't do it. They can't do it. They won't, you know, and now things are even out a little bit because of things like the internet and, and being able to, you know, do web series and, and be, being in charge of that yourself. But certainly from a traditional route, it, it just, it's terrible. Hmm. I don't, it's, it's discouraging. If Chachi was sitting across the table from me right now, what would you tell Chachi? <laughs> I, mean, I, Chachi? I mean, Scott Bale. Sorry. First of all, I'd ask him why it is that he thinks it's so much easier to work with women. And yeah, second, he did make that comment. I that yeah, was it was a quite interesting comment, I thought. And secondly, I would ask him the question of what we started with it which is if it's just about being qualified why he thinks it is that only that less than 10 percent of directors are hired to do all of television and film why it is is his is 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 his conclusion then that there just aren't any qualified female directors out there or it's just that's just what happens i mean it's crazy to me I, i don't get it well, I mean, if people were listen, if they were listening to what they're saying, and then drew the natural conclusion to it, it's absurd.
Now, the first series I did that put a critical eye on the representation of women in the business was my Women in Film series from season one. One of the most vocal and passionate voices in that series was Emmy Award winning documentary producer Stephanie Malone, who heads up the National Film Festival for Talented Youth. Stephanie's passion about this topic was infectious. And as someone who is connected in the industry, she was one of the women I reached out to to produce a radio film school Breaking the Glass segment. As such, she arranged the interview with filmmaker Jen McGowan. Hi, I'm Stephanie Malone, and I'm pleased to be producing this segment for Ron and his Breaking the Glass series. I'm the executive director of NIFTI, which stands for National Film Festival for Talented Youth, which is one of the largest and most influential film festivals for young directors. I love working for Nifty because I feel like I get to see tomorrow's film landscape through these young creative eyes. And hopefully, I can help provide these filmmakers with opportunities and challenges that will continue to shape them. I had the pleasure a few years ago of meeting Jen McGowan. Uh, she was here with the Seattle International Film Festival and she was showing her incredible film, Kelly and Cal. Jen's first feature film, Kelly and Cal, starred Juliette Lewis and Sybil Shepard and was the Game Changer Director Award of the 2014 South by Southwest Film Festival. Jen is an active member of the Alliance of Women Directors and Film Fatales. She's also the creator of FilmPower.com, an online skill-sharing site for women in film and television. She spoke on a panel of female filmmakers and struck me as someone really smart, direct, and with incredible creative energy. I loved hearing her talk about the film industry and what makes a good creative team. So when Ron asked me who I'd like to talk to for this Breaking the Glass series, Jen McGowan was the first person that came to mind. My first film, right, Kelly and Cal, is it a perfect movie? No. There are very few perfect movies. I don't think it's a perfect movie. I do think it's a very good movie. And I do think that um, I can say that not just from myself. I can say that from the audience's experiences, from reviews and whatnot. Um, I would put it up against other movies like Kings of Summer, mm -hmm. Safety Not Guaranteed, uh, 500 Days of Summer, Welcome to Collingwood, right? Brick, movies like that. Mm -hmm. What are those directors' next movies? Kong. Jurassic World, The Amazing Spider-Man, You and Me and Dupree. What other women have those jumps? Does not seem like a lot of them. <laughs> I can't think of any. No, I can't either. Now, fine. Maybe I'm an asshole. Nobody wants to work with me. And, and it's not, you know, it's me. It's <laughs> me. It's me. Fine. Okay, maybe it's me. But I can't think of anyone else. So to me, the issue is, and you know, there's tons of programs for short filmmakers. There's tons of, there's tons of incentives. But what happens after the first feature, for some reason, I think, um, you know, by this point, you have invested a lot of your life, of your career in this. And then all of a sudden, the support kind of starts dwindling. And, and I've, you know, I've seen this myself when I go into pitches against other filmmakers who have one or two or three films. And I actually have a benefit of having fewer films because, because fewer films actually represents less screw-ups. Okay, so 
things start changing. Once you do your first film, this is like, this is the big boys club, you know? And that's when the real stuff starts taking effect. And I think um, around that time is when real life decisions start happening in people's lives. This is from the filmmaker's perspective. I don't know what's going on on the other side of the table. Um, how, how, how hey, does Stephanie? this, oh yeah, go Ron. Sorry, please. actually I wanted to follow up with a point um, uh, you just made, because this has come up a few times. Uh, when you listed all the directors um, who did short indie films and their next films were these huge blockbusters. Um, so when a woman I interviewed said she spoke with a woman who put it this way that um men uh women are judged on their experience whereas yes. men are judged on their potential yes can you, can you that's exactly on that? right yeah so I, I i absolutely and i'll say it in a sentence so you can use it i absolutely agree i've heard this before that men are judged on their potential and women are judged on their on their experience. And what that shows me is that there is an extra level of fear with women that people feel they have to mitigate. What that means is, and I can, I can express this, for example, when I am hiring people, okay? When I have to hire anyone on my crew, it is preferable if that crew member is additive, okay? What that means is if I'm hiring a production designer, how many fancy awards do they have? How many fancy festivals do they have relationships with? How many fancy production designers can they call on if, they, if we get into trouble? Um, all these things. Those are additive. Forget about their work. Everybody should be good enough. That's, that's, that's a given. Everyone forgets this. The being able to do the job is a given. All the other stuff, that's what comes into play. Um, so when you're worried about someone... That's the stuff you start looking to, all that, all that stuff to start mitigating your concerns about hiring them. Who do they know? Who are their family members? How much extra time can they give you for free if they mess up a cut? All these things. Um, and one of the things that happens when you're hiring a, a you know, female director is they want to see exactly the thing that they're trying to make on your reel. Um, you know, I, I went in for a pitch once and, um, there's a teeny little segment in this, um, film, a little bit of an action and, um, great, great interviews, multiple interviews. At one point, someone mentioned they're thinking about, um, finding someone with some action experience. I was like, mm, Okay. Um, there are second unit directors that tend to uh, come on board for these things. But I understand, <laughs> you know, and it's like you can't, there's nothing you can do. You can just go in and show your best treatment, do your best meeting, um, mitigate it on your side as much as possible with storyboards, with previs, um, you know, with lists of these are the stunt coordinators, these are the second unit directors, these are the uh, DPs that I will bring on board so that they feel like you are protected, which protects them. Um, but, but that's true. What you're saying is true. And it, it expresses that fear. So Jen, why, 
why should we care about women getting behind the camera or about diversity in general? Well, it depends on who you mean by why should we care. There's the people who work in the film industry. And if, if they are people who are underrepresented, they should care because they want to work. If you're talking about audiences, I think they should care because diversity of people behind the camera means a diversity of stories on screen. And variety in storytelling generally means a good thing. Change is good. Everyone likes to hear their favorite stories told to them all the time over and over for comfort. But we also like something new and something different and a different perspective. In my opinion, I think it's, it's bigger than that. Um, I don't think it's just about the quality of entertainment or um, seeing something different or new. I think it actually goes much deeper than that. I think stories are important to human beings. I think we have been telling them from sitting around the campfire to painting them on rock walls to writing them on tablets to, you know, projecting them on screens. They're important to who we are as creatures on this planet. And I have to believe that if they are that important to us, it must be detrimental that we're only hearing from one portion of our humanity. I happen to think that if we are constantly telling ourselves stories of women being secondary, supportive, not in charge of theirs or anyone else's destiny, that has to have an impact on how we interact with one another in the real world. What expectations are those setting up for ourselves when we interact with men and women in the world? And what are we missing out on? That, that's what I keep coming back to. What are we missing out on? I, ju I just can't believe that not hearing from half of the population is a good thing for the world. I don't believe that. Women like Stephanie, Jen, and my friend Yolanda are just a small number of warriors in a long-running battle to make huge changes in an industry that turns about as quickly and sharply as an ocean liner. In my humble opinion, despite what Scott Bayeux says to the contrary, there does appear to be a huge discrepancy between how men and women are treated in this industry, from pay to hiring practices. If you don't believe that, you're either in denial, don't understand statistics, or blind, or maybe you're working off alternative facts. Just saying. <laughs> Seriously, what do you think? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Do you think this is the right solution of being able to solve the problem of the gender gap in Hollywood? I'd love to hear from you. Breaking the Glass is a radio film school miniseries and a production of Daredevil Media. Yolanda Cochran is our co-producer. Music for this episode was curated from freemusicarchive.org. Links to tracks are in the show notes. I'll honor my word as me and I will put myself on top. On my own total pole, I know my soul, it will not let me drop. Like Diddy and Biggie, baby, I won't stop. No, I won't stop. Call me a firecracker, now you're after all I got. If you have a story about something good or bad that happened to you in this business as a result of your gender, whether you're a woman or a man, I'd love to hear about it. You can record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to radiofilmschool at daredreamer.fm. 
Or you can go to our website at daredreamer.fm and use the send a voicemail button at the bottom of any page. We just might use it on the show. I am a reflection of you. Yes, you're quite badass too. Oh yes, Alita, you're a teacher. Mix me in your beaker. And speaking of music, Song Freedom has a huge library of songs from every genre. And they're your best source to license to music from mainstream artists like the Lumineers, American Authors, One Republic, and Kobe Calais, or classic tunes from the likes of Sinatra, The Temptations, Bob Dylan, and more. Go to songfreedom.com slash radio and sign up for a new account and you'll get a free standard license worth $30. That's songfreedom.com slash radio. We thank Song Freedom again for their support. Breaking the Glass is also supported by Videobox, a subscription service to license premium HD and 4K stock footage. When you go to videobox.com slash RFS, you can sign up for a free 7-day trial that will allow you to download up to 140 clips from their main library. If you like what you see, use that same link and you can get their year plan for as little as $99. The normal rate is $79 a month. You'll get unlimited downloads from their library of over 115,000 clips. You also get access to their marketplace of over 1 million user-generated stock clips at rates as low as $20 to $30 cheaper than other popular stock sites. So remember, that's videoblocks.com slash RFS. Another great way you can support the show is just by subscribing in iTunes. And then while you're there, leave a rating and review. You can follow me on Twitter at DareDreamerRon, and you can follow the show at Radio Film School. If you like this episode, share it on Twitter or email it to a friend. Until next week, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. Think I can get Scott on the show? <laughs> you might just get him. Yeah. Right, you should try see. it. I will. You should try it. I will. Uh, and if I do, would you be willing to talk to him, Mr. I absolutely would be willing to talk to Scott yeah. Bayo. All right. All right. We'll see what we can AKA do. AKA Chachi. All right. I won't call him that when I contact him. <laughs> <laughs> he might still like Chachi. I mean, yeah, it's mean, his most iconic role. Right, right. He should, I mean, own it. Not be ashamed of it. I mean, he is. Of course. He, he is where he is today. Chachi was, Chachi was the guy that all the girls wanted to be with. I was right. one of those girls. He's on the cover of Beat Magazine. Was it Beat? What's it? Was it Beat Magazine? Teen, teen, teen Beat or teen Beat? beat. Right, right. I'm sure he's on like your number. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM, the sound of creative expression. Hmm? Ah. Oh. Podcast to go.